At the Coca-Cola Company, Keurig Dr. Pepper, and PepsiCo, our bottles might still look the same, but some of them can be remade in a whole new way. Using 100% recycled plastic. New bottles made using no new plastic except the caps and labels. You'll be seeing more of these new bottles in more places, and that's thanks to you. Because when we get more bottles back, we can use less new plastic. Learn how our bottles are made to be remade at madetoberemade.org. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Look out the window and listen to the birds chirp. It is going to be a beautiful sunny day in metro Atlanta. Welcome to Green and Growing. Already hitting 70 degrees outside. Get out there now. Of course, take us with you on your smartphone. Listen on the WSB radio app. But get out there and get done what you need to get done. Don't be like me. I'm uh, working on rebuilding a deck, and I'm going to be doing it in the hottest part of the day today from 10 to 3. So that's going to be really fun. You don't want to be like me. You don't want to get sunburned. So we're back for the last hour of the show, and I'm very happy to have Seth Hawkins from the Georgia Forestry Commission. Are you having fun yet, Seth? I'm having a blast. I thought so. Me too. We get some great calls, so we want your tree questions for Seth, 404-872-0750. So you are a community forester with the Georgia Forestry Commission, and folks can find out more at gatrees.org, which is a website that, honestly, Seth, I'm going to be honest, until I met all of you in January, I did not know. And as a homeowner and just as a Georgia resident, such a a wealth of great information, gatrees.org. What are some of the helpful things and resources people can find there? Um, yeah, so there's a lot of good resources on there, um, you know, specific to urban and community forestry, um, stuff that I do. There's an urban and community forestry tab, then there's a homeowner health and homeowner resources section. And um, there's all sorts of good little, like, fact sheets and links to other websites and stuff with information about watering and uh, pruning. And there's a lot of good stuff. Um, we're, we're, we're building up the resources back into it's a newer website, but, um, you know, always check back. We're trying to keep it fresh with uh, new resources all the time. It looks great. And another one, folks, if you have a pen and paper handy and you're writing that down, that's gatrees.org. And Seth and I were talking at 730 and probably will continue to talk about the role of arborists, you know, and how important it is that as consumers and homeowners, we know how to reach certified arborists here in the state of Georgia. And that is georgiaarborist.org if you need to find someone. Because Seth, I mean, talk about the mistakes folks make. You don't want to get them out there with a chainsaw on a ladder, self-diagnosing problems. I mean, that could go all, all kinds of wrong, couldn't it? Yeah, not only just from a tree health point of view, um, but also just from a liability point of view. Um, you definitely want to have someone that is professional and licensed and insured out there, but preferably for tree work, um, you want to have an, an International Society of Arboriculture certified arborist. Um, you know, arborists were just trained in tree conservation methods and how to keep trees in the landscape. You mentioned GeorgiaArborist.org. Um, also on GATrees.org, we have a certified arborist directory there as well. Oh, good. So everything at one place, GATrees.org. I love it. All right, Seth, so we're, we're getting some great calls. So how about we just jump right back to those? Sounds good. Now, Tracy wasn't able to call today, but she and I have been in touch on Facebook. So she's got a large branch broken halfway off at the trunk on a dogwood, okay? And it was after a storm. 
it seems there might be an ant infestation, so what to do about it. And she's not sure if maybe the branch had been weakened by the ants or if the branch was weakened by the storm and then that brought on ants finding it vulnerable. But she said it looks like an anthill mound kind of in the center of that branch break from the dogwood. So what do you suspect? Well, typically, you know, carpenter ants and trees um, are a sign that there was already existing fungal decay. Um, those carpenter ants can only eat, you know, they only harvest decayed wood. So the fungal decay was already in there. I would suspect that fungal decay at that union is probably why the branch failed, if I had to suspect. And that just exposed, visibly exposed the fungal decay in that union. Um, depending on where the break was, you know, I would recommend having it pruned back properly to that union or crotch. And now, if it start if it ripped into the heartwood of the main stem, um, you might have other issues, and the fungal decay might become a really long term issue. Um, but again, the carpenter ants are a secondary thing; they're just a sign there's already fungal decay somewhere in the tree. Is there any reason for any pest management practices with the carpenter ants? Um, you know, not that I'm aware of. Um, they're going to hollow out those cavities, but having a hollow cavity is essentially the same thing structurally for the tree as having a cavity full of half-decayed wood. So really, the carpenter ants, um, I wouldn't panic about them. Again, they're just kind of a sign that other things might be going on. Okay, and so when we cut a large limb or a branch like Tracy may have to do here, talk about how you prune that back to the trunk properly and like the, the collar, you know, the collar of the branch and all of that. What are folks looking to do there? Yeah, yeah. So at the branch unions, there what, um, there's an area of what we call the, quote, defensive zone. And that's an area which the tree can make the right tannins and chemicals and, and put them in the right places to seal and compartmentalize those wounds. Now, if you leave like a stub sticking out, then that stub's going to kind of decay and provide an avenue for decay to get into the main stem of the tree. If you cut it too flush, you'll get into that defensive zone and the tree won't seal the wound properly. So it's really important to make that cut right outside that branch collar, which is easier to see on some trees or branches. But there should be a little like swelling, a little bit of tapering where it becomes that individual branch. You want to cut right outside that branch collar. And there's diagrams online that will show you all the places to make the right cuts and all that good stuff. Yeah, and maybe sometimes we don't give trees enough credit for being able to heal themselves like that. What is your take on folks that want to use those products, like in the crotches and, and hollows and things like that, like the, the tars and the things that we're trying to put a Band-Aid on something that may not need it? Right, yeah, so wound paint, um, there's no scientific evidence to back up the benefits of wound paint or anything like that. Um, there's actually maybe some research that suggests that it's detrimental to the tree. Because mm -hmm. um, basically what you've done is sealed in any fungus that's in that wound, and it's a perfect environment for fungal growth. It's dark, it's got just enough oxygen to let the fungus grow. Um, so the wound paint is, like I said, again, no benefit to it. Um, the trees have their own mechanisms to seal wounds. Um, if you just make the proper pruning cut, then they should, if it's a healthy, vigorous tree, seal itself off. Good. All right. 404-872-0750. Sarah in Dunwoody. Hey, good morning. Sarah, you're on Green and Growing. Thank you. Yeah. I had um, didora cedars planted after the tornado in Dunwoody 22 years ago and clearing out this week underneath one took away ivy and um, needles and so on and there's a lot of fungus white kind of massy fungus not the scallops like you sometimes see on trees and you might be concerned about but this is about three or four inches thick and it's kind of like white or, or off-white is it milky at all um that color 
Yeah, or even like frothy, foamy, milky, no? Yes, yes. It is. Exactly so. Okay, and this is Deodore Cedars, yes? Right. All right. Oh, Seth, what does that sound like? Well, um, so you're saying the fungus isn't necessarily like attached to the tree base or the roots. It's just kind of in the mulch and the duck layer around the tree? No, it's, it's at the bottom of the tree on the downhill side, kind of on the, of the root area of that downhill side of the tree. Yeah, not all the way around, but halfway around. There's a lot of different wood decay fungi out there. Um, You know, figuring out exactly which one it is can help you determine, like, how long has this infestation been there? How long will it take to actually make the tree fail? Um, But whenever you have fungus, visible fungus growing on the base of a tree, it's a pretty big sign that there's fungal decay in that, you know, root place or right there. So if it's a larger tree, especially, I would recommend having an ISA arborist come out and do a formal assessment, a tree risk assessment, just because if it's a larger tree and you do have fungal decay in the root plate, that does increase the likelihood that that tree could fail under wind and things like that. Oh, what do we do? Um, really, it's going to be, you know, a site assessment will help determine the extent of that in, of the fungal infestation and determine basically the structural integrity of the tree. But again, Visible fungus on the base of a tree is one of the red flags that I look out for to um, when I'm looking for trees that have a higher likelihood of failure. All right, Sarah, thank you so much for the call. And Seth, I want to ask you too about something else, not fungus, but what about mushrooms? If we see mushrooms at the base of certain trees, is that a warning sign of something or do we leave that um, alone? No, same story as, as the last caller. Um, you know, uh, that's just, again, wood decay fungi. The mushrooms are the, the reproductive organ, basically, of the fungus that's within the tree. Um, again, it's just a visible red flag that there is fungal decay within the tree somewhere. Ah, shoot. Okay. Yeah, because mushrooms are kind of cool, but when you see them at the base of the tree, that's not so cool. So yeah. we've had questions about the top of the tree. We had Jan with uh, browning leaves at the top of the dogwood. Now we've kind of moved down to the base of trees, and that makes me want to ask you about mulching. How important mulching is? Is it really just for use in our flower beds and our vegetable gardens, or do we need to do it around trees? If so, which ones? Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I always encourage, um, I'm a big proponent of proper tree mulching. I feel like it's one of the easiest and most cost-effective things that any homeowner can do to just increase the health and habitat of their tree's root system. Um, so basically any organic material really can work as mulch, you know, even like leaves when you rake up your leaves in the, in the fall. I prefer to use ground up hardwood chips. I just feel like it lasts longer. Um, but so really when you're doing mulch, you really want to go about two to three inches thick with your organic material out to, you know, if you can all the way out to the drip line, which is the furthest out branches around the tree. Um, but again, mulch is super important. If you think about trees out in the forest and you look in the grounds, what do you see? You see mulch everywhere. Mm-hmm. So essentially, we're just recreating that natural growing condition. Um, but again, mulch conserves soil moisture, um, you know, normalizes soil temperature, um, suppresses weeds. There's a lot of benefits of mulch. Now, there's sometimes questions and discussions around what type of mulch, because some folks in counties here in Metro Atlanta have resources to get free mulch, you know, for maybe a tree company or whatever like that, and using maybe cypress versus like pine bark mulch. Is there one that's better than the other? You know, um, again, I like to use hardwood chips myself. Um, That's just a preference. Again, I just think they don't decay quite as fast. Um, But really, I mean, pine straw, pine bark nuggets, all that stuff, that all works just fine. 
the big things, um, I would stay away from the dyed mulch when you can, mm-hmm. um, just because those dyes sometimes leach into the soil. And just and also, the dyed mulches absorb a lot of heat and re radiate that heat back out onto the base of the tree. So, I would stay away from the dyed mulches and things like that. Um, like pea gravel is not really a great mulch. It, again, absorbs a lot of heat, doesn't hold any moisture for the for the tree roots. Um, so, you know, but then you were talking about free mulch sources. Yeah, there's there's a lot of great free mulch sources out there. Um, you know, just you got to be a little choosy sometimes and make sure that you aren't bringing in maybe a little round of bamboo. In oh, jeez, right. But a good aging, if you let it sit out there and age, typically that'll kill all the weed seeds and all that good stuff, and um, then you'll be ready to go. So you've got a pile of, you know, like freshly ground mulch and, and chips from a tree. You're you're letting it sit in a pile if you've just had some tree t- trees taken down or whatever in your yard. What is the proper age for that before I start spreading it around in my beds? Well, it really depends. I mean, I've used freshly ground chips before. Mm-hmm. Um, so really the aging process is mostly just to make sure that any insects or weed seeds kind of get uh, you know burned out by the decomposition heat. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're confident there's no insects or weed seeds in it, you can use mulch that's freshly ground. Ah, I love it. That's good news. All right, Seth, we got to take a break. It's coming up on 819. Kim in Toco Hills, you will be next. Had some trees removed and questions about that. You are listening to Green and Growing here on WSB. So much to do here on the show in the last half hour. And guess what? I twisted Seth's arm and he's going to stay with us through nine o'clock. Woo! So it's not too late to get your tree questions in. 404-872-0750. Finley Roofing sponsors the weather update today and tomorrow. Very similar with sunny skies, some clouds, maybe a small chance of a stray shower tomorrow. Highs in the upper 80s. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. Easy stuff to be doing in the landscape this weekend, and it's seasonal, it's timely. So number one, we want to keep asparagus and garlic well-weeded. If you were blessed enough to get some asparagus in the spring, you were so lucky. Let the asparagus grow a lot of ferns, though, as they are now for the rest of the summer and into the fall, and don't cut back the foliage until it's totally brown. Number two, you can plant containers, still be thinking about colorful annuals and things like that, but don't be limited to the idea that that's all you've got. You can use perennials, like maybe hostas or small shrubs rubs in there and just plant with the mindset in those larger containers of thrillers, spillers, and fillers, and you'll fill out a container really nicely. And for number three, I'm going to have my guest Seth Hawkins weigh in. What is garden to do number three that folks could be doing now, Seth? Um, I'll say it again. I think mulching would be a great thing for everybody to get out and do this weekend. Um, you know, again, it's super easy, about two to three inches thick, about as, you're really as wide as you can make it, as you can either get the materials or do it physically. Uh, big things, you don't want to volcano mulch it, like we call it, where it's mm-hmm. all mounted up on the trunk like you'll see sometimes. You want it to be nice and flat, a nice flat disc out around the tree. And then how far out, like, I mean, if I can mulch under some really good trees, how far out do I need to go with that mulch that it's really super beneficial? You know, ideally, um, to spec would be going out to what we call, you know, the drip line, the furthest out branches. Obviously, with a really big tree, that might be cost prohibitive, cost prohibitive or not practical to do, but really... If you can get out to that drip line, that's awesome. The bigger the mulch ring, the better. Nice. I love it. All right. Up next is Promised Kim in Toco Hill. Good morning. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um, a few years ago, I had a bunch of just whoppers taken out of my yard and of pines and sweet gums. And I want to replace them with smaller trees and that don't get over about 40 feet high. And two trees that I, I really like that I've seen around, but I want to know 
what Seth thinks about them is a Chinese lace bark elm and slender silhouette sweet gums. Um, what do you think of those trees? I don't want like whoppers and I can, he thinks they're fairly vertical that don't have a huge amount of spread. All right. So Seth, I'm going to give you some time to think on that and maybe come up with uh, solutions for Kim here and maybe a couple of other trees because Kim, we're going to go on a break, but he is going to answer your question right after the news. If you can hang on for about eight more minutes, but I do want to make sure really quickly in the last few seconds here with what you've had taken out. Are we talking about an area with full sun now? It's pretty bright. Yes. Okay, and so definitely your desire is something that doesn't grow as tall. Yeah, I just I, I'm I, I have part of part of one come through my living room or dining room ceiling. Ooh, that'll make you live in fear. Absolutely. All right, I totally understand. I can relate, Kim. So you hang tight, and Seth, you stay with us as well. Thank you so much for holding through to nine o'clock to get to some of these calls. We're gonna step out and take a break here on ninety five point five WSB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. Welcome back to Green and Growing here on 95.5 WSB. So glad you're along this Saturday morning. I feel like it's been a full show and we've gotten a lot of great questions from you. And we're going to keep on going with that, 404-872-0750. But at this time, every Saturday morning, the sponsor of the show, we couldn't be here without them, Pike Nursery. And you know their locations here in Metro Atlanta. They've been established in the city for a long, long time. And I am thankful enough today to have Allison Smith, who's the manager of the East Cobb Store. And for those of you who may not know, that is Johnson Ferry Road right there near Shalliford. Good morning, Allison. Thanks for calling. Good morning. Thanks for having me. How are you? Yeah, we're doing really well. So glad to have you on. You're a horticultural guru, so it sounds like you're in the right job. You love it? You love working there? Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding? How could I not? It's beautiful every day. We're surrounded by gorgeous plants and wonderful customers. It, it really is. I mean, the customers are fantastic, too, and I know they missed you guys for a couple of months, but the stores are back open. Now, are you working on limited hours still, or is everything slowly getting back to normal? Well, we're open from 8 to 9 a.m. for seniors and people at risk, and then we're open to everyone from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., and that's seven days a week. We love having everybody back in the store. Um, all of our associates are just so excited to be helping people, answering questions, and showing that, showing off all the pretty uh, trees, shrubs, flowers, and houseplants that we've got. Yeah, so many just really good bedding plants, too, and annuals and all of the color. But today we want to talk about something that's a little more perennial, and yes. it's so relevant because everyone is seeing them right now, whether they're lining beds, whether they're at mailboxes, Stella Deoro Daylilies. Oh, gosh. They are bright, shining stars in the landscape. They have this wonderful golden yellow blossoms, and true to their name, daylilies, they produce a bloom every day. <laughs> so you get this abundant, gorgeous, bright color throughout your landscape. They're, um, they're great on walkways. You can put them in containers. And as you mentioned, they're perennials. So once you plant them, every year they return. Um, one of the great things about them that we love is not only do they continue to bloom every day, but they'll bloom through the summer. So uh, they're very easy plants. Um, they'll take full sun, but also if you have an area in your garden that only gets 
a little bit of sun in the morning or a little bit of sun in the afternoon, they'll tolerate that too and continue to bloom. So they're really for every kind of garden. Now, we had a call earlier, you know, and we talked about dividing irises and how important that is. What about daylilies? Do we need to divide them every few years or just let them be? Not necessarily. You can let them be. One of, um, one of the great things that makes them so easy and, then, and that is advantageous is that they continue to bloom and spread. You can also, um, the pruning, uh, the deadheading of them can, can really help the continuous blooms. If you just pluck the bloom after it's bloomed out uh, right at the nub, you'll continue to get more and more blooms every day. And please give me some good news about who may not like these Stella de Oro de Oh, Lourdes. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so we love our furry friends, but not so much in the garden when they eat up all of our pretty plants. Oh. So both rabbits and deer are uninterested in Stella de Oras. So uh, really, we consider them um, deer and rabbit resistant. Not only that, they do attract butterflies. So oh, if, you, nice. uh, if you're interested in having pretty things flutter through your garden, the Stella de Oro is a great addition as well. Love that. So daylilies are, are for one of you gardeners who is just maybe kind of a lazy gardener. You want to set it and forget it. It's perennial. It's so rewarding to see the blooms. And what are some other, when you mentioned Alice, or Alice, and when you mentioned butterflies, what are a couple of other really good plants that we could pop in right now and get to attract butterflies? Oh, there's so many. I'm glad you asked. Lantana are fantastic. Um, we also have Veronica. We've got sage. Um, there's some, uh, anything that's really fragrant is going to bring those butterflies. And we're also uh, carrying a great selection right now of hummingbird attractors mm. as well. So I would strongly encourage everybody to come on in and see some of the beautiful perennials we've got. Um, on display and for sale to attract those pretty things in your garden. Awesome. Now, if you're not familiar with a pike near you, go to pikenursery.com. There's the locations and just more information on their nurseries and garden inspiration. And y'all are on social media, too. Yes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram. We've got tips and inspiration all about. And of course, all of our uh, horticultural specialists are in stores, happy to answer questions and show off all the things we've got. Allison Smith, manager of the East Cobb store located off of Johnson Ferry. Thank you so much for taking the time to call in today. Oh, thank you, Ashley. You guys have a great day. All right. You too. Always good to talk to you guys. Same. Take care. Thanks. So many awesome things going on at Pike Nursery locations. You got to go in and check it out. And even if you just go there with no idea of what you want to buy, the associates will literally walk you aisle by aisle and kind of really gather what your needs and your wants are and you will end up with some beautiful stuff. I just recently went about a week and a half ago, got all my stuff planted. I got purslane, I got some sun patients, we got some daisies, shasta daisies, really excited about all of that. And Allison mentioned trees too. You can go ahead and pick up some trees at Pike Nursery and we've got Seth Hawkins with us from the Georgia Forestry Commission. And Seth, we've been talking about summer tree care. Hey, how are you? Good. So we've talked about mulching. What are some other, maybe let's hit up really quickly, some watering rules of thumb for some of our more fragile trees and what we need to be paying attention to in regards to that? Um, Yeah, sure. So, you know, watering is a really, um, unfortunately, overlooked aspect of new tree planting, especially. Um, You know, once trees are large and established in the landscape, they have enough, you know, root surface area that they usually can get the water they need just from sprawling out in the landscape. However, that first, you know, two to three, maybe four years after planting, 
is what we call the establishment phase. Um, and like I said, for about the first two or three years after planting, um, pretty much from March through October, you really should be supplementally watering your trees unless you're getting a whole, whole bunch of rain, which obviously we have this spring. Um, but, you know, the, the faucet's probably going to turn off for the summer and we're going to get those 95-degree days coming. So watering is really important thing for your young trees. The rule of thumb is about five to seven gallons per caliper inch. Wow. Um, if you want to apply that about once a week. Um, just once a week, maybe in the middle of like July or August, maybe twice a week if you have really well-drained soil and it's uh, just gotten really hot every single day. Um, but really, once a week, because trees really like to get all the way saturated and all the way dried out, then all the way saturated and all the way dried out. They don't want to stay moist all the time because then you'll have root rot issues and things like that. Really good advice. And say that someone did plant a new tree maybe back in the spring and it's still kind of short. You know, maybe there's a tree that's only three or four feet high. Um, is it a good idea to put fencing around that or any kind of brace just to protect it or does it really just depend? Um, it really depends. So when you're talking about like um, as far as like staking trees, I usually don't stake a newly planted tree unless I absolutely have to. Um, it's really better for the tree to stand up on its own in the wind and kind of sway back and forth and build up its own capacity to hold itself up. Now, you know, if you have deer problems, um, you know, there's all sorts of different options, putting some fencing around your deer, uh, around your new trees, because unfortunately deer will just rub against them and no regard for our pretty trees. <laughs> um, so, that, you know, if you're having deer issues, there are some options and um, some fencing or maybe just like some tubing around the base of the tree. Just make sure you have space between the trunk and any of that protection you're doing. You don't want anything pressed right up on the trunk of the tree. Good, good. All right. So before we uh, took a break for the news, we had Kim in Toco Hill. Several trees removed. She had a scare with some that fell into the house, so some pine trees and larger things taken out, and now wants to plant more. And she had some ideas. So first, let's cover that elm tree that she had in mind. Um, yeah, so she mentioned um, lace bark elm, which is um, another name for Chinese elm. So there's a lot of different varieties of Chinese elm out there in lace bark elm. There's Athena and there's Bosque elm and a ton, several different varieties. Um, but Chinese elm, um, it's a really you know good backyard tree. It's got a really nice base shape. Usually tops out, ultimately maybe 40 to 45 foot, and that's like way down the road. Um, but they do have a nice sprawling shape to them, so they do generate quite a bit of shade, even though they're a smaller stature tree. Um, really pretty exfoliating bark, um, just really cool form, um, and they just have that really pretty elm look to the leaf as well. So that's a great tree. Um, you know, if it's right up next to the wood line, you might just want to keep an eye on it and make sure that it's not, you know, propagating new Chinese elms out into the woods. Um, every now and then they can kind of try to spread on their own. But if it's out in a managed yard, in a mowed yard or everything, you shouldn't have any trouble with that. Okay. So that's a and Kim, we've brought you back. What was the other tree you were thinking about? The other tree is called Slender Silhouette Sweet Gum. Ooh. Try saying that five times fast. <laughs> um, and, and I've seen that. Actually, there's some planted across the street from WSB. Um, but, and it's a, a very vertical tree because I've got a side yard that I'm also looking at. And what do, you, what, what do you think about that tree? Is it a decent tree? Is it, um, is it a keeper? Um, yeah, so, I mean, all the sweet gum varieties now, correct me, I'm just not sure, is the Slender Silhouette a seedless variety? It's, it's, it's supposed, it supposedly has extremely small ball gumballs, okay. if it has any at all. Oh, good. Um, there's some planted right over by Phipps also, and it's, it's extremely vertical. Yeah, yeah, and so the only thing that's negative about sweet gums in our yard are the gumballs. 
But um, the, you know, these seedless varieties they have, um, you know, they have all the good parts about a sweet gum. They're tough as nails. They will grow through anything. So, um, you know, it's not going to generate a ton of shade because of that culinar shape that it has. Um, but it definitely will probably thrive in your um, in your yard. But, again, it's just not going to generate a ton of shade. Now, they can ultimately get, you know, probably 50, 60 foot. I mean, that's way down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so they will put some height on them eventually. Um, but, again, they're not going to have big branches arching out towards your awnings or home or anything. All right. And, Seth, did you have any other, wrapping up uh, Kim's question, did you have any other suggestions for her, maybe just one? Um, yeah, so like um, we're talking. It sounds like you're talking about we we talk about trees, a small, medium, and large canopy tree. Large being oaks and stuff, maples. I mean, and maples and oaks. The small being like dogwoods and redbuds. It sounds like you're kind of after medium canopy trees. Um, another medium canopy tree that I really love is American hornbeam, um, ironwood or musclewood. Another name you'll hear for it. That's a great tree. Wildlife love it. Native birds enjoy the seeds from it. Um, so that's a good one. Again, it's got a kind of more upright form. And it'll never get big enough to um, maybe cause, you know, issues down the road that you're worried about. I love it. Thank you, Seth. And thank you, Kim, very much for being so patient. We kind of had to take your, your call in segments there, but I hope we got the answers you needed. We have another about a minute and a half. So Charlotte in Woodstock wanted to say good morning to you. And you're looking for trees, right? Uh, yes. Good morning. Good thank morning. you for taking my call. Um, I'm in a relatively new development And the issue that we're running into right now is they're going to have to do some correction on a slope that's behind our house. Um, It's eroding. And in the process of doing this correction, we've just found out that we're going to lose a poplar tree that is approximately 70 feet tall. And we don't have a lot of trees because it's a new development. Is there a place that we can go to get help on what to use for replacement trees back there? Um, yeah, for sure. So um, the, the forest, Georgia Forestry Commission has some recommended species list. I'm pretty sure it's in our resources tab. And if it's not, you can reach out to me. You can find my contact info. And I can provide a recommended species list that we give out to folks. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, got, it's got it broke down by size of trees and for canopies or for screenings, things like that. So, Charlotte, how about if I put you on hold, do you want me to give you Seth's info offline? Yes, that would be great. Great. Okay. I would love to do it. So, yeah, when I when I saw Charlotte's call, Seth, I guess we're going to go to break here, but I was kind of thinking, you know, trees that grow fast, a lot of times people call with that, and it's because they want privacy screening. So that's not the case with Charlotte. But when we come back, I want to ask you about just that and your recommendations as we wrap things up here on Green and Growing. You are listening to Ashley Frasca. It's 95.5 WSP. Woo, it flew by already. 8.54, almost getting out of the way for Dave Baker, making room for the Home Fix-It show. So we'll be out of here in just a moment. But I want to give you a weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing so you know how to plan the weekend today and tomorrow. May see a few clouds, more of a chance for a small shower tomorrow than today. Highs in the mid-80s and lows in the mid-60s. So Seth Hawkins has been along for half of the show. I so appreciate your time, Seth, calling. You work for the Georgia Forestry Commission, and we've had a really good time answering folks' tree questions. Oh, for sure, and thank you for having us. Um, You know, this is a great opportunity to help um, just promote proper tree care out there, so thank you. Yeah, I mean, there's so much we didn't get to. Like, you should see my list. Like, we we maybe made a notch in the list, so I'll just have to have you back. (laughs) So we just had a great call from Charlotte there in Woodstock, and then that made me think of talking about some privacy trees like for screening you know folks always want something fast growing so i don't know if it changes 
the fact if you're building on a slope or maybe not, but just something fast growing is a good privacy uh, tree or hedge. What do you recommend? Um, yeah, so the slope aspect, I wouldn't worry so much about that. Planting on a slope is a little more difficult, but it can be done. Um, when I when I recommend stuff for privacy screens, you know, the Arbor Body Green Giant's a great one. That's the fastest growing of the Arbor Body. That's going to give you that Leland Cypress kind of look. Um, but also other ones, um, Little Jim Magnolias are great um, for screens. Oh, um, yeah. Screen, they're, they're wonderful. Um, several of the holly varieties are great for screens, and they're going to get up quickly where you need them to actually function as a screen. So there's some good ideas right there. And now if this has to be the time of year that we install some of those things, just really key to water everything, right? Right, yeah. So, we're you know, it's the best, obviously, to plant in the winter when the tree's dormant. You can get away with summer planting sometimes, but you really have to water it. Like you were saying, like maybe double that watering regime I was talking about. It's just a little trickier to plant in the summer. It definitely is. And we talked earlier in the show, too, about mulching and how important that is. Seth, you've got about a minute to maybe touch on that one more time as well. Um, yeah, again, uh, mulching, I feel like just an overlooked thing. Um, it can really improve the habitat for a tree's root system and uh, really just make it a happier, healthier, more vigorous tree. Again, just recreating those natural growing conditions, providing organic input to the soil. Um, this is one of my favorite go-to low-cost tree care things. Absolutely. Whether you can get it free from a tree company or you go buy some bags at Pike Nursery, mulch is always a good thing. And maybe, you know, it's generally something you only have to do once a year. You don't even have to do it that often. Yeah, and then when you are reapplying, if you already have existing mulch, make sure you stir up and scrape up that old mulch before you apply new so you don't get a fast layer form underneath the mulch or anything. Ah, that is good. Well, Seth, I am very, very fortunate to have had you on the show today, and you just imparted so much knowledge. We will do it again. But how can folks reach you and get in touch with you? Um, yeah, so if you go to gatrees.org, it's the Forestry Commission's website. You go to the Urban and Community Forestry tab. On the bottom right, if you scroll down, there's an Ask a, Find a Regional Specialist button. Okay. And you can click that and put in your county, and it'll show you the forestry contacts for that county. And I will be listed as the Urban and Community Forestry uh, Forester for that county. I love it. Seth, thanks so much for your time today. And all of you for the great calls and the great, great questions. Even had some interaction on Facebook with some listeners today, too. Find me on Facebook. Search Green and Growing WSB for the show page there. It's been an awesome Saturday morning. The show will be available for uh, podcasting and streaming on Monday. If you listen on Spotify or Google Play or even WSBRadio.com. Got to get out of here. Have a great Saturday. I'll talk to you Monday morning with Triple Team Traffic. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.